So today, today we're talking about how we help one another in times of suffering. We know from scripture that suffering is inevitable in a fallen world. We know that the world is broken because of sin and therefore we will suffer the effects of that brokenness in various ways. We also know that even as, that as believers, there's an additional layer to our suffering, which is persecution for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and of being faithful to his name. We know that Paul says, all those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, you may, you may not think that's your favorite part of Christianity, but your king says that it is so. Uh, so we know that we will suffer in this life, and we know that as a believer we will suffer an additional layer of that even. So imagine situations like these. Your close friend within the body calls, and someone that they love has suddenly died. Or one of the members of your home group has just gotten fired from work. Or you have someone in your family struggling with chronic pain that affects everything that they do. Or maybe your friend calls and tells you that their family is berating them and calling them brainwashed because of their decision to follow Jesus. How can we help one another respond to situations like these? How can, if your friend is going through this, how can you help your friend respond to these situations? What do you do? What do you say? What do you pray? How do you pray? Where do you go in the scripture? How do you bring comfort into the situation? So, it's good to support one another as we walk alongside one another, helping one another on to heaven. It's really important to think through how to minister to those who are hurting. And if you want, there's a, there's a note sheet in the back. So this study is not going to be comprehensive. The topic's way too broad for that, but I hope we can serve as a satisfactory introduction. So what we're thinking about today is what we call a theology of suffering. And in studying a theology of suffering, which means we're looking to the Bible, we're looking into the Bible and we're seeing what it says about suffering and how God would have us respond to it, We need to ask a few questions. How do I understand what suffering is? How does my view of suffering shape my faith? Are any of my thoughts on suffering unbiblical? How does my view on suffering shape the way I care for others? Now, in our culture, we have a very pain-averse culture, don't we? Right? We have, and we have a, we're in a generation which does not, necessarily suffer in some of the ways previous generations do. Let's just take the very obvious one that, that we, we, uh, we, we don't... A, a cold or the flu doesn't necessarily cause us to wonder if we're going to die, right? Whereas in previous generations, before antibiotics, before, you know, we, we, you know there, an epidemic would sweep through a community and, and, and it would be devastating. We don't have some of that, although... COVID certainly gave us a little reminder that we're still vulnerable. But we do have an insulation from some pains that, that other generations have not. And we really, really, as a society, don't like pain uh, and seek to avoid at all costs. Yet, and even as Christians, we can fall into those thinking patterns. But the reality from Scripture is God uses suffering as one of his most effective tools 
to refine and purify our faith and as a means to help us grow closer to him and to bring him glory. And if you talk to older saints who have been walking with the Lord a long time and you ask them, when did you grow? When was the work of Christ seemingly most effective in your life? Was it the times of ease and relative peace? Or was it the times of suffering and trial? And again and again and again, seasoned saints will say it was during the time of trial. That was what helped God refine, helped allow God to refine my heart and, and refine my desires for him. Uh, John Piper says, we must talk so as to make suffering seem normal and purposeful and not surprising in this fallen age. The forces of American culture are almost all designed to build the opposite worldview into our minds, maximize comfort, ease, and security, avoid all choices that might bring discomfort or trouble, difficulty, pain, or suffering. Add this cultural force to our natural desire for immediate gratification and fleeting pleasures and the combined power to undermine the superior satisfaction of the soul in the glory of God through suffering is huge. Eric, can you turn me down just a little bit? So what does the Bible say about suffering? Okay, so that's the first part of it. Number one, the Bible is just realistic and honest about suffering in a fallen world. It does not paint a rosy picture of the Christian life where everything's suddenly going to be perfect and and wonderful and that everything's going to be coming up roses. It's straightforward about the difficulties we face as believers. And it locates them as the consequences of sin. That doesn't mean when we suffer, we're being punished for a particular sin. What it does mean is sin has broken our world. And the Bible's just very realistic about that. And then, again the additional pressures of living as a Christian in a world opposed to God. You know, our, our culture often, the gospel can sometimes be packaged, and I would say it's, it's close to being or can be a false gospel, is come to Jesus and your life will get a lot better. Well, let's just think about this. What if a Muslim lady in Pakistan comes to Jesus? How's her life going to, how could her life go from then on? Could it be possible that that could make her life really, really, really a lot harder? Better? Yes. Harder? For sure. Shorter, even, perhaps. So, we live in a world that's full of suffering and we experience it. Number two, God is totally sovereign and totally good. And that remains true in times of suffering. Nothing changes that fact. We know from Scripture this is is true, though in difficult times our intellect or our feelings tend to tempt us to deny this. Our minds naturally ask, why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? When we put ourselves among the category of the good people. Our feelings signal to us how much we're hurting and we consequently doubt the goodness of God, or the greatness of God. But the reality is that truth is truth, even when we're suffering. And that's a reality that we have to grab a hold of 
right now, whether we're in a time of peace right now, personally, or in a time of suffering. We have to grab hold. And friends, this is just the most, I know this is hard stuff to even think about at 9.30 on a, on a daylight savings time Sunday. But what anchors our soul? God is great, and I can drive that stake all the way down. And God is good, and I can drive that stake all the way down. And if I keep a hold of those two, then I can, I can not be thrown when I get to a time of suffering, even an intense time of suffering. God is great. God is good. I'm going to be tempted to let go of one or the other of those. But those are the things I have to keep coming back to. And as we will see, and as I'll just hint now, we know that he is great and good because he sent his son to die for us. And the cross is the indication that God is great and God is good and that God cares about our suffering. The cross is the fact, the ultimate death, uh, sorry, Christ's death for us is in fact the ultimate evidence of God's sovereignty and his goodness. His sovereignty and his goodness are proved to us definitively at the cross, and that's what we can go back to, even when we're feeling like we're staggering. Okay, so God is good and God is great. At the same time, we are sinful, man is sinful, and man is responsible. Man is sinful and man is responsible for his actions. Sin comes from man, not from God. So much of our suffering comes directly as the result of sin, either our own sin or other people's sin against us. God is never to blame for human sin. God, of course, is holy, holy, holy. Man has the full responsibility for the sinful choices that he makes. That includes sinful actions and words and thoughts and deeds and behavior. And it includes sinful reactions to suffering. So even in a time of suffering, we are responsible to act before the Lord in a way that brings him glory. We don't get a pass when we're suffering, and we don't have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. We don't have to love our neighbor as ourselves. God is great. God is good. We must love and honor and glorify him. God uses everything for his good purposes. Men and women make sinful choices that hurt themselves and others. They reap difficulties in their own life and in the life of others. God uses everything, even our foolish decisions, even our sinful decisions and their consequences for his good purposes. Why? Why? Or what was God doing in Joseph's betrayal by his brothers? Providing what, Carol? Providing for God's people, providing for the world through the context of the global famine. 
Joseph's brothers intended all of that for evil. Genesis 50, verse 2. And God intended it for good. Even the, the hateful, murderous intent of Joseph's brothers. is. Did Judas and Caiaphas and Pilate and the priests and the Sanhedrin and the crowds, did they intend the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for evil or for good? For evil. And how did God intend it? I say, I say to my kids, kids, this is the best and the worst thing that ever happened in the whole history of the world. Because God superintended over evil and brought about salvation and glory. God uses everything for his good purposes. God builds good things into the lives of his children, even through difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances aren't pleasant. The pain's real. The pain is not enjoyable. And it doesn't have to be. It's not like God wants us to enjoy the pain. Consequently, people also often interpret suffering as particular punishments from God. And yet, Scripture says that even though that's a possibility, it is sometimes right. Ananias and Sapphira, they died. Why did they die? They lied against the Holy Spirit. Right? But that's, it's not often how, it doesn't work that way often. Often God is doing other things. Scripture says God uses suffering to shape and to mold his children. We're not to lose heart because of our suffering, because suffering produces... Suffering as God's discipline produces, Hebrews 12, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus' situation better because of his sufferings? Is his condition right now, his happiness, his joy, the greater because of his sufferings? I would submit to you, yes. He has reaped an abundant harvest from all the, the tears and the, that he sowed during the days of his sufferings. And in the same way, we are to see our training by the Father as for our good, that we might reap good things too. How should we respond to suffering as Christians? And how should we help one another respond as Christians? We turn to God. And we don't turn away from God. We lean in. We don't lean out. If we look at the Psalms, we can see, we begin to pick, a, pick apart the psalmist's response to suffering, which I maintain is Jesus' response to suffering. And we have the language of lament. And lament is, is fairly foreign to our world. Our world knows how to... to respond with emotion to suffering, but lament is something uniquely for the believer. Lament does four things. Number one, lament turns. Lament turns to God. In the midst of suffering, lament turns to God and leans into him and not away from him. Because what does Peter say? Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? We turn to the Lord. We turn. We pour out. 
We pour out our soul. That's the second part. We pour out our souls to God, bringing before him our situations and how we're feeling about it. And don't we see that in the, in the Psalms? You know, oh Lord, I'm in distress and trouble. Oh Lord, my tears have been my food day and night. My couch is wet with them. My bed is full of them. I'm drowning, right? He's honest about the suffering and the sadness. He pours out his soul to the Lord because he's turned to the Lord. Then he pleads. He asks God to act. Help me. Deliver me. Save me. And that may be from my circumstances or through my circumstances. But help is always available. Help is always available. Because God's ultimate attention, even if the intention isn't to take the cancer away, it's to help me to gain eternal life. In the end, help me. And finally, trust. He puts his trust in God and in his promises. Goes back to God is great, God is good, God is for me, and I know it because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So those are the four, I've got that down in the bottom here, the four parts of biblical lament. For those who are undergoing hardships, there's lots of questions that have to be sorted out, like what do we do to make things better? Or why is this particular thing happening? But the most fundamental question a person can ask and answer is who do we turn to in our suffering? We must trust in God's goodness. All right, I'll take a minute for questions or comments. Yes, BJ. Uh, just a comment, brother. It's like when you say we need to turn to God and not away from him, I think it's helpful to know you can... In my pastoral experience, a lot of believers don't know that they're turning from God when they actually are turning from God because they're thinking, you know, I'm still coming to church. I'm still participating in things. I'm still reading my Bible. But if in your heart you're starting to, you know, really just think more that God is harsh towards you or not uh, treating you well, or if you have some angst or frustration towards Him, then you are turning from God in that moment. Um, Or if you're abandoning private devotions or find yourself not wanting to get in them, you're that's evidence of beginning to turn from God. So I just bring that up because I think we don't think we're turning from God when oftentimes we are. It starts very subtly. And so we need to distrust our heart. Yeah. Our affections cool for him in some way. And it begins to manifest itself. Yeah, good. Um, what are God's purposes in suffering? Praise God, he has purposes in our suffering. We're going to go a little faster here. In a world that typically lives for pleasure and avoids pain, Christians must fight the tendency to avoid suffering at any cost. Suffering isn't meaningless. God has purposes for our suffering, even deep suffering. We certainly can't and won't on this side of heaven understand all of God's purposes for our suffering, but we can understand a few because they're revealed in Scripture. Number one. Suffering gives us an opportunity to stand out as Christians in a world that does not honor God. We should count it a privilege to suffer as a Christian. There should, there should be, and there can be, no shame. There, 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 it's possible for there to be no shame in it. Do you remember what happened when the apostles were beaten? 
by the Sanhedrin, and they go out, and what do they do? Do you remember? They rejoice. Why do they rejoice? Because they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's a wild bunch of ideas packed in one sentence. They, had been, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had been honored to be shamed. If you suffer as a Christian, 1 Peter 4.16, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Suffering te- teaches us to rely on God and not on ourselves. What suffering often does is to peel away all the superficial layers of our life, like an onion which is being peeled away in its layers, or sift flour that is being sifted so that the impurities come out of it. What we find when we get to our core is often that there's some some ugliness and, and treacherous sin there. We don't want to trust God. We don't want to build our lives around him. And this experience is actually helping expose that. We want to be self-dependent. We want to be self-reliant. But suffering teaches us to turn away from self-dependence and turn to God in deep dependence instead. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 said, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Friends, what is, the, what is that which you need to rely on? On yourself or on God who raises the dead? And suffering helps sift us to expose that. Suffering teaches us God's decrees. Simple little verse, Psalm 119, 71. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees. Suffering matures us into godly people the Lord is molding for himself. James 1, we just went through James last year. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is God's purpose for you in trials, right? Or to to go back to Romans 5, which the youth have been doing recently. You know, perseverance produces, suffering produces proven character. Sorry, sorry. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. These are the intentions God has for us in our suffering. The Savior receives glory through our suffering. 1 Peter 4, a lot of suffering in 1 Peter. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Right on the last day, when he is revealed and you are revealed with him in glory, all of the sufferings that we experience for his sake will be proclaimed to the universe and will be vindicated. We share in his glory, and we redound to his glory. Suffering even allows us to share in the glory of Jesus. Romans 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, some of these principles that I've just said, do apply most clearly when someone is suffering a particular kind of suffering, when someone's suffering persecution for Christ's name's sake, a suffering that the world doesn't know and can't share. But I do think that 
it can rightly often, in the life of a believer, it can be extended to other kinds of suffering as well. Right? We, don't have to, we don't have to say, well, my suffering isn't for Jesus, so I guess I can't derive, you know, I, I'm just sick, uh, so I guess I can't derive comfort from these verses. No, you can, you can. But it is true that the particular comforts that these, some of these promises give are, are as a result of being faithful to Christ against the world. And we have very little category for that, at least speak for myself. Right? Persecution is still not a gear that I love to engage. You know, faithfulness at the, at the risk of persecution. It is God's prerogative to permit suffering. We can think of pain as meaningless, but the Bible calls it meaningful in those of, of us who are God's children. God could have chosen to leave us in our pain and to make nothing of it. But in his mercy, and because pain is not beyond God's sovereignty, he uses suffering to bring greater glory for himself and to shape us to look more like himself. Do you want to look more like Jesus? Do you want to be conformed to his image? Sometimes God is going to use suffering as the tools that he uses to bring that about. And it's our privilege and our joy to partake in suffering since God receives glory through it. All right, how do we prepare our friends for suffering, especially friends that we're trying to help? Maybe friends especially that we're one of those situations where you're a little bit farther ahead than in the Christian walk than they are, and you're kind of trying to help them move forward. But, you know, even if you're just walking side by side with someone, this, these will all... Take time to talk about suffering, right? Let's just talk about suffering and the reality of it occasionally. Sometimes. Let's just be real about it. Typically, we only talk about difficulties when we're experiencing them. But let's not wait for suffering to come to finally talk about it. If you're working with somebody, make it a priority to talk about suffering before it comes. We, we know that everyone's going to endure suffering to a greater or lesser degree sometime in their lives. So it's not a matter of if suffering will come, but when. So let's get ourselves ready for it. Let's help one another be ready. Help your brother or your sister, help them deconstruct worldly assumptions about suffering. For most Christians, there's some worldly assumptions tangled up and influencing our thoughts on suffering. So our desire for ourselves and for our friends is that we would disentangle worldly assumptions from suffering. So for example, assuming that all suffering is just a bad thing full stop, no upside, period. And that's just contrary to scripture because suffering is, or suffering ought not to happen to me. I ought not to suffer. Suffering is, I am supposed to suffering and it is not to be expected or the scripture tells us to expect it. So we want to help one another untangle worldly assumptions and, that get in amongst our hearts. We want to study God's purposes for suffering as revealed in his word. Why? Because you're more capable to assign godly meaning to suffering in the midst of difficulties if you've taken time beforehand to study God's purposes in the scriptures. You can use good Christian articles and books. Some that I might recommend would be Johnny Erickson Tata and Steve Estes wrote a book called When God Weeps, Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty. For a more theological take, you could look at Don Carson's How Long, O Lord. 
you want to look at a book on the, on the importance and the significance of suffering in the life of the believer, read something together. Build, build your relationships, build the depth of your relationship before suffering comes. So as you're involved deeply in a friend's life, you can better get to know the person when things aren't so difficult. Explore one another's life, have meaningful relationship, have a depth of intimacy with them. Understand where they understand where you're strong and where you're weak. You understand where they're, where they're strong and they're weak, where they struggle, where you tend to struggle. And when you, when you know each other well like that and you build that relationship in the good times, then you have a foundation to walk with them and help them when things are difficult. Keep the focus on faith. Help them to see. Let them help you see how in all circumstances we must respond in faith and trust to the Lord. Then when the troubles come, they're practiced in responding in faith. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace, Jesus says. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Help them build a foundation on the goodness and sovereignty of God. Back to those two deeply driven rods. When Christians suffer, whether they realize it or not, they'll be tempted to doubt God's character, either his goodness or his sovereignty or both. And you can help prepare people for suffering. We can help one another prepare for suffering by building a firm understanding of God's character and particularly of his greatness and his goodness. And we can train ourselves and train one another to meditate on the gospel before suffering comes. Make it be our habit to turn in difficulty to and meditate on the truths of the gospel. So we're practiced on remembering when the times get tough. God is for me. How do I know that he's for me? Not because my circumstances change, but because he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give me all things? Right. So I turn back to the cross. I turn back to the demonstration of love that's there at the cross. Now, how can we practically help one another when times are difficult? Well, realize your obligations. Accept your covenantal responsibility to partake in their suffering. Right? We're in a covenant relationship with one another. If you're a member of Redeeming Grace Church, you've entered into a covenant. You have covenant vows to keep to me, and I have covenant vows to keep to you. We must Rejoice with those who rejoice. We must weep with those who weep. By accepting membership in this particular church, you've accepted the responsibility to care for those who are suffering. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Which means that if one person is struggling, we don't don't all literally feel his pain, but all of us should be showing concern. Now, Let's get real. In a church of 200, there's, we can't all show the same level of concern and the same level of involvement. Some people are going to be directly involved and other people are going to be involved more at a distance. And that's okay. Right? There's going to be a few people that are, that are kind of quarterbacking the situation, but everyone can pray, which is why we have the share time and we ask one another to pray. We, we seek to, to help one another in all ways and share our sufferings with one another. Be present. Be just present when suffering comes. Don't let people go through suffering alone. 
it's just interesting when you look at the beginning of Job. You know, Job's friends had a lot that wasn't going for him. They get rebuked pretty hard by the end of the book. But it is interesting that at the beginning, they just they come to him and they see his suffering and they tear their clothes and they see the depth of his misery and they just sit with him for seven days and they don't even say anything to him. They're just there with him. And sometimes you're not going to know what to say. And sometimes it's not even best to say anything right away. But just being there with someone, being actually physically present with them, it's a powerful means of caring for one another. Be an ambassador of comfort. Right? Corinthians. So much good stuff comes from Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God comforts us in our afflictions and share his comfort with others. Right? We understand and experience the grace of God in difficulties so that we can then pass that on to others. Don't hoard the comfort that you've received from God. God comforts you so that you can comfort others. You have been comforted in the gospel. Let the riches of the gospel flow through you to others by reminding them and grounding them in the gospel. Remind them that God sees them. Right? Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Or think about Hagar's story, right? She says, in in the midst of her suffering, the angel of the Lord comes to her, and she says, ah, you are the one who sees me. We can remind ourselves of that, you know. In fact, I had an occasion with a sister just the other day to say, I don't think the Lord is going to allow you to be the loser in this situation in eternity. He knows your tears. He knows your tears. And he will make it right. Be willing to make sacrifices for one another. Guess what? Other people's suffering doesn't happen at a convenient time for you. It's going to happen. You can't schedule their crisis in your phone and hope it conveniently fits within the time you've allotted for it. Often difficult situations crop up when you don't have time to devote to others, and yet the Lord calls you to make that time. So it will be more likely require you to make sacrifices of your time in order to care for someone who's struggling. And that's a good thing. That's not something that should irritate us. Gently instruct in difficulty, but mainly comfort in moments of crisis. In the midst of difficult situations, people can quickly get overwhelmed with emotions and can get confused about how to move forward. Gently and graciously instruct them, guide them if they need the help. But in a moment of crisis, your main objective is to show comfort rather than instruction. Reaffirm God's character. Talk about God's mercy and his goodness. People are asking the difficult questions at times like this. Why is this happening? At a time like that, don't get drawn into an abstract theoretical discussion about theology and how does God coexist with evil and 
explain the problem of evil and how God allows evil to... Like, that's just not the thing needed at the moment. It just isn't. 99 times out of 100. Focus your conversation on reaffirming the character of God. Go back to the basics. God is great. God is good. God is for you. He's shown that to you in Christ. Don't try to explain what you do not know. You will not have the answers for the wise. You will not know what God, what good God will bring into their life. Don't pretend to. Don't feel like you need to make up an answer or else you've failed in your Christian discipling. It's just okay to say, I don't know. And then focus your answers as best you can on the things that you do know, those foundational truths, going back to the gospel. The mercifully loving character of God, strong character of God, the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. I know I'm booking it through here, but these are good things. Truth is always true, and sin is always sin. In the midst of crisis, the black and white of truth and sin can sometimes become gray. Sometimes people can start reconstructing their theology of suffering in the midst of crisis. And when that happens, you need to, be, you need to have your feet firmly planted and be sure to stand firm on what you know is true and what you know is a lie. You would want them to do the same thing for you. Be there for them. If they're having difficulty holding on to those foundational truths, make sure that you're there to be a backstop for them and go back to those truths. If necessary, and when the moment is right, be willing to confront them very tenderly about sinful responses. When someone is suffering, that does not mean they cannot be in sin. When someone's a victim of something, some serious offense, that doesn't mean they can't sin in their response. You know, Job suffered intensely and God's first words to him were not words of comfort. Well, they were, but they didn't feel like what we might initially. Now, you are not God. You're not God. But there may be times when someone's thinking is, is turning, making a hard left turn toward, toward sinful, toward a sinful reaction, and you, you, may need to, you may need to lovingly confront or bring other resources to bear. Right? Because sin doesn't take a day off. The devil doesn't take a day off. Oh, you're suffering. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go easy on you. No, that's when he goes in hard. And we need to help one another. We need to help one another refrain from sin. Pray with them. Pray for them. One of the most comforting things you can do for a person is to pray for them. And as they're able, pray with them. Them praying. You praying. Them pouring out your heart. You pouring out your heart to the Lord. Obviously, think practically how you can serve them in the midst of their difficulty or crisis. So one of the most wonderful things to do is to say, what can I do to help you? But better than that, do you know what's better than that? Side by side, ladies, you might have gotten to this point in the book, I don't remember. Don't just say, what can I do to help you? They may be so undone in the moment that they can't even think of an answer to that question. Maybe just anticipate some common sense needs that will be had. I want to pick up your kids today. You know, I'm going to get you dinner. 
here's a gift card, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the, some of the basic things, they need, to put their, they need to take care of their kids, they need to feed their families, they need to just take some of those weights off. Anticipate how you can help. Think practically in giving help. And finally, don't be scared to ask for outside help. You are not sufficient for all of this individually. That's why we have a body, and specifically, it's why we have pastors and elders who, who are the, the chief under-shepherds uh, acting under Jesus. So there will be times when you'll be overwhelmed by your friend's difficulties. Keep pastors, keep elders in the loop. Draw others in, other godly influences, if you're not sure how to help. Because you want them to actually be helped. You don't care whether you're the one to do it or somebody else is the one to do it. So... Seek outside help. All right. Last, just, just summary things. Discipling people who are hurting starts when times are good. Building a solid foundation for difficult times that will always inevitably come. Dealing with difficulty and crisis takes discernment, lots of prayer, gentleness and comfort, and a willingness to help. And praise God for the privilege we have to point others who are suffering to the goodness and the mercy of God. All right, a couple minutes for, uh, no, no minutes for questions. Uh, I thought I had, but I don't. All right, come talk to me, and, or we'll get some time. Thank you guys very much. Let us throw open the doors.